This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, everyone. My name is John Harari. I'm CEO and co-founder of Windowsware. What I love about retail is how enormous this industry is and all the creativity that takes place within our industry all around the world. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Retail is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako. Well, actually, today I'm your only host because, unfortunately, our good friend Rebecca Fitz is, is not able to join this conversation, but I know she's going to enjoy hearing it because uh, I think her guest has a lot of very interesting things to offer. Again, it's uh, John Harari, uh, the CEO of Windowsware. Uh, and, uh, so first of all, John, great to see you. Welcome to the show. I, we've, uh, we've seen you in our, in our respective communities in and out over quite a few years, seeing you at a few, uh, uh, fashion is your business events and different mouth media events. Uh, and, uh, now it's great to have you in retail is your business. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Look, windows where those who haven't heard of it, uh, the first thing you see when you come on the, the website it says the world's largest and most comprehensive visual database of retail and e-commerce. So that's a big statement, uh, and I and I love that you're able to so confidently make that statement. So uh, I have two questions that come to me naturally. One is, with full respect and a belief, you can answer this. How do you know? How have you been able to measure that and be so sure of that statement? Uh, and I don't mean that as a challenge as much as, you know, it may go to the what you've really accomplished and how you're able to be sure of that. And then the, the second thing is, is I guess the natural question would be, what does that really mean? How, uh, what, yeah. what, how, how can brands use that in their uh, their effort to uh, conduct effective retail transactions and and, you know, serve the customer appropriately? It's a great question. So, uh, you know, the, one of the ways I would look at it is, you know, has, has Google captured the earth? <laughs> Maybe. You know, and, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, does, does Google even need to ask if, if it's captured it? Clearly, when you go on Google, you know, you don't necessarily have to look at every single uh, uh, street globally to just have the idea that Google probably has photographed everything, uh, with, without having to actually go through that process. So we as a company, we actually capture uh, retailers all around the world, similar to Google. We have a team of photographers globally that go out and capture this content. Uh, similar to Google, we also scrape information off the internet. So if, if there's content on, on the internet already, we're, we're capturing it. And then we also have user-generated content as well. And, and we're up to about 35 a thousand members from all around the world. And, you know, I would say that, you know, back in the day, uh, every retailer was doing their own competitive research. You know, you have a team of, of creatives and then they go out and they explore. They, you know, you work at Tory Burch and you go out and you explore what other brands are doing. You know, what, what do their stores look like? What do their windows look like? What does their merchandising look like? What does their packaging look like? What do their emails look like? Uh, you know, what does their website look like? 
And obviously our industry is so dynamic, things are constantly changing and technology is changing and um, you know, there's constant velocity of content uh, out there. So you know, these, these people, these human beings, uh, these brands have to continuously stay updated on, on all the content that our industry is producing. And, and obviously from a, from a resource perspective, it's very time consuming and, and, and it's very ineffective to have human beings do that work. If you can have, you know, a, a global team of photographers capturing it, as well as all the stuff that we do from a digital perspective to capture uh, the content that's already there. So it's a great question mark and you're absolutely right. But at the same time, uh, you know, I wouldn't be doing Windows where if, if, if I knew of someone else doing something similar and, and on the flip side, you know, when we started the company eight years ago, we created a database of window displays. And, and I, I literally thought after the window displays, after we accomplished that task, literally trying to just capture every window of every brand all around the world as, as a resource for other designers to, to see what has been created by other brands. I literally thought that that was it. I, I actually didn't even think that there was more to Windows Wear beyond that. But then once you know, we started understanding more about this industry and, and all the creative things that these brands are doing, mm -hmm. uh, we just we just realized, wow, there's just so much more content out there that really no one is capturing. Um, and traditionally, also brands have, um, you know, maybe they had their own records. You know, you work at a brand and, and you collect your own images, you do your own research, but you're not necessarily sharing that with other brands. And and ultimately, a resource like Windowsware is, is one that provides access to all of our content to any user that wants it. So it's a much more comprehensive uh, and global perspective that anyone can instantly have access to. So how does this move the needle for brands, having this information or or or, or how... What's the end product here that you do with this information? That yeah, that, that's that's a fantastic question. So that's all I ask. You know, that's all I ask, John. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, these are great questions. <laughs> uh, I, I see why you do this. You know, you just you're hitting the nail right on the head. Uh, so essentially, everyone needs competitive research, and and that's a very specific term. But I, I can also just make it very simple. Uh, you know, if, if you want to go on a date with someone you got to see what your options are, right? If you want to buy your car, you want to see what your options are. If you want to look look for a home, an apartment, right? Even even a shirt to wear, right? You want to look at the colors, the sizes, the brand name, right? So every human being, in order to make a decision, they need to see what their options are. And, and obviously, if you are a creative person working at a brand, you're creating some sort of creative product, whether that's merchandise or it's marketing or it's social media or advertising or it's a podcast, right? It, it, all these are different mediums to create. So other, what you need to know is what other people are doing on that medium or how are they expressing themselves. So if you create uh, windows for Tory Burch, you want to know what all the other windows look like. If you create emails for Ralph Lauren, you want to know what all the other brands' emails look like. And, and obviously, there's so many uh, different types of creative people, whether they work on the products or, or the merchandising, the marketing, the advertising, the social media. Uh, but, but essentially, at the very base level, you need to know what others are doing. And obviously, to do that, it's a manual process. There's a human being collecting that information or they're looking on their phone, they're spending that time collecting that. So at the very base level, it's competitive research. Look, 30 years ago, if you worked in real estate, 
you would have to physically go to the apartment or the home just to see what it looked like, you know, and you might be taking photos, you know, and, and no one, and that service was very valuable just to see, visually see and share Im images and information. Now, now it's kind of crazy, right? You don't, you don't take your own photos. You just, you just take whatever you see on the internet and, and someone did the work for you. Uh, and that's essentially what we do. And now, you know, the future is obviously technology and things like artificial intelligence, right? So once we have an, in, in a, a huge library of, let's say, every window or, or every email that every brand is creating, then we can actually start to predict visually what will happen in the future, right? So if, if we know, uh, you know, this brand for the past five years has done this, then we can predict, you know, with some level of accuracy, what's going to happen in the future. And that's just based on data. Uh, and, and so, you know, so not even beyond, you know, not even beyond collecting the content perspective, but actually giving people real insights, real information based on actual data. And, and that's ultimately where I want to get to, and we want to get to, and, you know, I, I used to work in finance, uh, my business partner as well, Mike, and, and, you know, working on wall street, uh, working at a hedge fund, uh, with with stocks, you know, with the stock market, they have tools like this. They actually have tools that can analyze a company's earnings and what would that predict for the stock price and and all that stuff. And and we're just doing it more, but for the creative people. Uh, and, and obviously, our content isn't necessarily uh, a stock price or or uh, or uh, uh, financial statements, but it's essentially images and and visualization, which ultimately can also be broken down into uh, into into numbers uh, with the right software, and then and then those insights can be can then be made uh, for for brands, and and I think that's a very exciting uh, point to get to, uh, and and we're not necessarily too far away from that point. How uh, how are you able to stay? How can you stay in terms of physical retail? How are you able to stay current enough? Because you you know if if there's some level of manual process here of capturing that information, it's going to be outdated even at least by days if if not longer how How are you able to not have a significant lag in the accuracy of data, not to poke holes in it, but I'm curious how you address that issue, and in terms of whatever not just capturing, well, here is what this brand has done, and therefore that's what we think they will do in the future, um, being able to read larger trends uh, and be, yeah. be a valuable d d set of data analytics to anybody without some substantial lab. You know, if Google had to go, and it was a larger undertaking, but if they had to go and take all the pictures over again, which they, I think they sort of do eventually, it takes a long time to go through all of those places. Plus, in that time, some places have closed, and you've got to note that. And some new places have yep. opened, and you have to discover those and capture those to have an accurate read. So, how do you even handle all of that change? It's a great question, Mark. You know, and, and I don't, I don't have the answer to it. Uh, I would just say, you know, we're a business, so obviously, you know, to capture and photograph everything all the time in real time could be extremely expensive and obviously if we don't necessarily have users that really need that right I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if all of our users necessarily need up to the second visibility on every single competitor globally like uh, like uh, 
like a, like a camera, like you know, a security camera. I don't think that they necessarily need that. Uh, if if they do, maybe it's for their own internal purposes for their own internal stores, but not necessarily for external. Uh, so it's 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 literally uh, it's just a chart. You know, how much do we spend on content? Obviously, you know, we have to have always fresh content. That's the nature of the internet. That's why we're doing this 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 podcast because obviously it's all about new content, fresh content recurring content but then on the flip side there's a cost to that you know it's it's time consuming it's expensive and, and obviously quality content takes time too right if, if we just snap photos real quick you might not even visually be able to see anything really good so you know there is a there's a certain quality perspective too of making sure that we have good images that uh, that can really represent what we saw or what what we captured at that moment in time but as you know, as Mark, as as everything is going online, like social media, uh, emails, websites, augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, scraping content isn't as expensive because once you set up the algorithm, you're you're constantly capturing it versus actually having physical photography all around the world. And, and also, we can also leverage user generated photography. So we're trying to figure out how to scrape content that's already geotagged somewhere uh, and then have that. Be uh, another representation of what that what that uh, what that store looks like. I mean, I guess that leads to the elephant in the room a little bit, which is as rapidly over the la- less than the last year, uh, we we hurtled into a new existence very quickly. Maybe an existence that would eventually happen anyway, but we went super quickly from physical to more online usage. And then I think like the ocean, it's going to recede a little bit, but we're not going to be in the same place we were a year ago. Everyone's saying we're, we're somewhere in between is where we'll land. And um, how have you responded to that? You know, I heard what you just said about, you know, the, the opportunity that that presents, but how have you read that and said, okay, we need to slightly recalibrate our business to respond to this both in terms of the new reality and, and frankly speaking, um, uh, the changing economic reality of budgets and priorities, but also the opportunity that presents is, you know, perhaps um, more up-to-date data sets. Just the fact that you can more accurately and even autom- in an automated way be able to start scraping for that, uh, that information. So how, how has yeah. that... How has that changed what you're doing and your trajectory forward? And and how have you responded to that actively? Great, great questions. Uh, so we're actually doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on our business model. Not anything has actually changed. We're actually adding more and more content. Uh, we're obviously focused on a lot of the digital stuff right now. Uh, uh, just, just getting that up to speed on, on Windows Wear. Uh, but look, we've in the past year, obviously, you know, the industry has been, uh, you know, challenged significantly, but we've also had record number of signups and brands signing up because, you know, they, they can't actually physically go anywhere. You know, they're, they're stuck at their homes or they're quarantining from home. They're working from home. So just having visibility externally at like a resource like Windowsware is actually very valuable. And, uh, you know, and obviously if everything's shut down, not much we can do. But, you know, when things have opened back up, you know, what is what is the social distancing signage look like? Uh, what are the decals? Uh, what what are they putting on their 
uh, in their stores for Black Lives Matter. Like all the sort of, all the change is actually important because then other brands want to understand how other brands are, you know, getting up to date with COVID and, and, and all the decals and all the, uh, you know, all the new layouts, you know, the new, uh, you know, the, the screens that are installed, right? So that's, that's competitive research, you know, just, just to visually see how other brands are responding, uh, you know, and, and how they're newly merchandising is information for other brands to give them ideas of how they can do it too, or at the very least, how they can compare and contrast what they're doing to others. And then to have a tool like Windows where it provide that information, you know, you're just getting it at your fingertips, you know, and, and, you know, from that perspective, we, we, we would have never expected that. Uh, but obviously that's why I mentioned we're doubling down, tripling down on windows where, and also a lot of our clients are schools. Uh, you know, there's a lot of schools that teach fashion, merchandising, design, um, you know, all around the country, all around the world. And, uh, same thing for them. You know, they're, they're, uh, they all turn their classes into zoom classes. Uh, you know, they, they need resources at their fingertips and we've signed up you know a lot of schools uh in the past year as well because obviously a textbook doesn't make any sense and you know if they can have a resource like windowsware that uh you know gives them that information in real time you know it's 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 a great resource if you run a brick and mortar store guess what you have a problem Retail storefronts can't drive immediate conversion, and you can only have so many shoppers inside safely. Any hours you're closed, you can't make sales there. And if you make product, your product packaging is static by nature. It can't be continuously updated, which limits the consumer experience. The next time your customer might interface with you is probably when they need to buy something else sometime in the future. Even more importantly, retail storefronts and product packages both lack a human connection. Are you able to tell the same stories in your own voice to your customers like you used to in the past? Social distancing, the move to commerce, or you've just grown beyond that opportunity? You need to take a look at StoryDot. Engaging the customer throughout their journey from store to website to product packaging StoryDot supports a quick, contact-free, physical-to-digital transition, letting you tell your story to the customer and enable them to take action and motivate them to share that story on social media. No matter where that customer is, they can hear the exact story you need them to hear. And that can convert into sales and elevate their experience and turn them into your marketers when they share on social media. And key user data is generated providing more mapping of the relationship with customers. You need to see StoryDot in action and explore how StoryDot can connect the dots between you and customers. So visit www.storydot.com. That's www.storydot.com. Liliana Petrova, who's a customer experience expert with the Petrova Experience, has a new podcast called The One Thing. And uh, the first episode was about the transition from physical to digital. And one of the points that was made is 
uh, you're mistaken if you think you can take what you were doing f from physical retail and just try to duplicate it online. It just doesn't work. You have to rethink it and, and re-strategize it. What insights have you been able to gain so far in terms of how uh, retailers are actually taking what happened in their physical storefront and repositioning that online to be able to still have a sense of a storefront. You know, you if you rely on your window displays as part of the attraction to the business, the personality of the business in a way, you know, and, and you don't have, you don't accomplish the same thing online, the personality of your business changes. Um, how, how, what have you learned about, uh, any insights from that? Yeah, look, Mark, you're preaching to the choir on that. You know, when we started Windowsware, where, you know, we, we thought it was very odd that the e-commerce team didn't talk to the visual merchandising team, didn't talk to the window display team, didn't talk to the marketing team mm -hmm. in these major brands and everyone was doing their own stuff. Uh, I will tell you over the years, especially for a lot of the big brands, they're very much more coordinated these days where it's a 360 degree strategy. So whatever's on social media gets implemented into the in-store, into the window, and then they all cross-pollinate each other. So if you're in the store, you see something, you're on the social media, you're seeing similar content, but you know obviously optimized for the physical or the digital or the social media. But it's, 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 it's actually a breath of fresh air because uh, you know, for, for years as a company, we tried to sort of, you know, talk to these different groups that wouldn't even talk to each other internally. And now everyone is much more aligned. Everyone sort of gets it. Look, there's no, there's no playbook to the internet. You know, no one ever, you know, uh, everyone just had to discover it as, as they went. And obviously the technology, some people embrace the technology, some don't, some understand it, some don't. And obviously social media has changed too. You know, they've changed their algorithms. They've changed how they do what they do. Uh, and so, you know, everyone's got different opinions, everyone uses it differently, but, you know, I think we're at a point where social media is a lot more mature, uh, you know, today than it was 10 years ago. And, uh, and yeah, and so in that past, in, in that time, we've, we've seen a lot more coordination internally and also externally with, uh, with the content. But I, I agree with what you had mentioned with that woman said, cause it's absolutely right. You can't just create something uh and expect it to work for you know for digital for social and and vice versa uh but but look i i actually love physical visual display it's one of these things where you know i didn't necessarily understand the the value of it like you know uh immediately obviously by doing this for many many years i've really come to deeper more deeply deeper understand it uh for instance, one of our clients is the Fifth Avenue Association. And on Fifth Avenue, uh, you know, for, they, they, they were thinking this whole time what they were going to do for Fifth Avenue. All the stores are, uh, you know, a lot of the, the retailers have, have, have vacated, a lot of empty storefronts. And this is Fifth Avenue in New York City, right? Prime, prime, prime real estate. And the Fifth Avenue Association is the business improvement district that is really charged to help make Fifth Avenue like a global shopping destination. So they're thinking, do we create, you know, windows in the vacant stores, but then how does that relate to the other stores that are not vacant? Anyway, they, 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 I, don't know, I don't know if you saw it, but there was like, uh, they created these 10 
holiday centerpieces and they actually physically put it on Fifth Avenue, right? Like the actual sidewalk, uh, you know, they, they made one like a, like a big giant uh, uh, balloon. They, they did another one like a Rubik's Cube, just very fun, very brightly colored uh, uh, physical props. Uh, and millions of people were taking photos of it, right? Kids loved it. Parents loved it. And so that physical content is, is, is digitized as people are photographing it, as they're sharing it, and they're making memories. They're actually engaging with it. And, you know, on, and, and that quality alone is amazing, right? You can create one physical prop and then have millions of people share it and have memories of it. Like, that's very difficult to create with a, with a video just for YouTube or with an Instagram post. You know, it's, it's whereas a physical visual display can, can actually create that. Uh, and that's the power of the physical visual when it's done in the right way. Uh, and, it's, and it's very cost effective, right? I mean, think about, you know, once you, and then once you make it, it's there. You know, you can always have it for the future uh, versus digital content. Digital content in nature always has to be different. Right, like you always have to have something different with digital content, but with physical, it's actually you know having the same thing there over and over, like the Empire State Building, creates memories, you know, and it creates long-lasting uh, 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 digital content as well. So, uh, you know, you bring up an interesting thing about user-generated content as a, a significant source of images, uh, particularly for well-known brands, uh, pop-up stores. Um, interactive experiences and so forth. How, if at all, are you not just scraping for those images and, and pulling them in as part of the, you know, the, the, um, the set of images that you may have for a particular brand, but the comments that people are making about that to get insights into the opinions of people and how they feel about it, because you can get all these great pictures and say, wow, this was amazing. But if like, 80% of the comments were look, were, look how terrible this is. That would be incredibly deeply useful information. So how are you, if at all, looking at that and adding that into your insights or the data that you have to share? I love these questions, Mark. I mean, it's literally, it's data on top of data, on top of data, on top of data. And I'm telling you, it's endless. So you're absolutely right. You know, I'm, I and we are all about exactly that, adding okay. more layers to the information and, and obviously for the reviews, the comments, that's a layer on top of the layer, right? So li we're literally building layers and layers and layers and layers uh, within Windows where as far as content and, and it's endless, it's, it's actually endless. Because even within a physical space, what are people saying, right? What are they touching, right? There's just so much data that's there that uh, is, is literally there to, to collect and there to capture and, and there to share and provide actual insights, to your point, to, to make decisions to really understand what is actually happening. So I love that you're thinking like that because you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. We don't necessarily have that information today, but in the future, we, we, we definitely could and we should. Uh, and, and then it's just the cost benefit thing that I mentioned before. How do we capture it? Is it useful? How expensive is it to, to get it? Is there are there users on the other end that would really value that information at a price that makes sense to collect it? 
that's not that's not information that's collected now, but it's a layer you're trying to add. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, you're like with within every look within every physical location, there's a Google review, right? Within mm-hmm. there's a Facebook page that has comments, right? You can one can capture that information, you know, and then yep. and assign it to that brand, that location, and have a dashboard, right? Of of every comment, every brand. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if there's another company doing it. There could be, mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there can't be others uh, that do it cheaper or, or have more use or they do it yep. in different ways. Uh, you know, when I was working in finance, there were hundreds of data sources that we subscribed to. So, you know, having one or two others within retail is not even my concern because in, in finance, there are hundreds of others and they all do different things or in some things they do the same. Uh-uh. Like there's plenty of companies out there providing stock prices, right? Like that's that's a simple, easy data set. But then there's hundreds, if not thousands of companies providing that service. So it's not to say that, you know, even if someone's collecting that, that there can't be others because they're doing something different with the data uh, or they're offering it in, in, a, in a different way. Uh, so, yeah. But yeah, it's a great, it's a great uh, thought. Now, one of the differences between, say, the financial world and retail, let's say, is that the innovation retail, arguably, in terms of um, how it looks and feels and smells, is changes at such a rapid pace. And I would argue that although there's always a new, um, let's say, B2B solution within the financial world, the general activity and user experience that's happening within the financial world is, is a little more sluggishly advancing. Uh, and because it's just the nature of it, I'm like, what's to change? You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like someone every week is inventing a new type of financial instrument. Right. Uh, so and they, question- shouldn't. they shouldn't, they should just keep, well, keep what's there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, can we just go back to bartering? It was so effective. Uh, the the, que- the question I have is, without giving away your your uh, you know the goods that you sell here, uh, what are you learning from the things that you're seeing in terms of likely trends ahead? Uh, whether you know it relates to VR, uh, AR, digital displays, other type of sensory. Uh, interactive experiences, uh, the use of audio, uh, the implementation uh, of QR codes into experiences. W- what kinds of things, as specific as you can be, are you starting to see, you know, uh, by seeing what people are doing, you say, this is this is a thing that other people are going to follow. Six months, a year from now, this is going to be big. Yeah, look, uh you know, my definition of retail is a sale of a product to a consumer, and that Love can, it. and obviously, and then and then also, you you can only sell something to consumer. You gotta you gotta be where the consumer's at. If we're if we're spending all of our time on a on a Zoom call, uh, or, or this podcast, you know that product needs to be there. Uh, if we're going to be in an augmented reality where, world, we're all wearing visors then we need to be shopping products within that experience. Uh, if we're all sitting at home, you know, quarantining at home, uh, there needs to be products presented to us wherever we're at. And obviously, if, 
you know, when the world opens back up and we're all shopping, we're, we're out and about, we're exploring things, uh, you know, then those products need, need to be there. You know, I, I, I definitely think the, uh, the commercial real estate industry needs to re-understand how they do business. You know, I, I think, you know, a 10-year lease, you know, for a commercial space is crazy, right? When people don't even know what's going to happen in a few months from now. I, that is always amazing to me, yeah. And, uh, and obviously with, with, with retail, uh, you know, so much business is being done online and you can measure the value of your investment. If you, if you spend an ad on uh, a social, certain social media channel or to promote uh, content on the internet, you can actually pay for the traffic, right? So you know exactly how many visitors you're going to get. You can pay for that. You can optimize your spend. You can do it within an hour. You can do it within a day, you know, and, and that's why I see the proliferation of all these pop-ups because mm -hmm. the pop-up is a better retail experience. It's more exciting. You're, you're physically there uh, for a short amount of time. And then you want to come back when something's new. And, and obviously these, look, the big department stores, you know, they were invention, uh, they were, they were technology, technological invention a hundred years ago. And for, for 100 years, we've been dealing with, uh, you know, 10-year 10 10 year commercial leases, if not more. And, you know, the commercial real estate needs to re-understand uh, how they value their properties and how retailers value their business. And there just needs to be a, an, an alignment there. And I think uh, if that ever happens, then I think that's the, that's the most innovative thing that could happen to our industry. And that's beyond the... The things that you're mentioning, like the VR, the AR, the the audio, the all that sort of stuff. I think all that stuff is a is going to be very natural to happen. But I think the more important thing is just uh, revaluing the real estate and and also just coming up with a different model that works uh, for everyone. Anyone can just go to WindowsRaw.com, create an account, create an account for free. You'll get our content. You'll get our uh, we do events, we do fun things. At the very least, you'll, you'll be involved in the things that we do. And obviously, we have members that pay who want access to more content and, and, and more things that we do. But at the very least, we, we offer a, a free, free subscription to anyone uh, that wants to take advantage of it. All right. Uh, up next, we get a human with John Harari uh, as we get into a round of personal questions right after this. Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, John, uh, let's let's talk a little less Windows Wear and a little more John. Okay. Uh, so first question I have is, uh, what uh, what is one of the coolest things you've ever seen 
in New York City. So a window is about putting something on this way. It's about seeing something most of the case that, that gets you excited and creates an emotional impact on you that drives you eventually towards uh, an affinity with the brand and ultimately conversion. That's the whole idea of having, having a window, uh, at least in my head. Um, so it doesn't have to be a store window, but what is, what is something you've seen in New York over any period of time, maybe even your youngest memory of something that you saw that affected you, good, bad, or ugly? Great question. Uh, once you said it, I knew exactly the answer to it. I don't know what year it was, but uh, Studio 54 opened one night only. It was like Sirius XM Radio created a new station. Uh, the, the number was 54. And it was like an all disco station. So to celebrate that, they actually recreated Studio 54. You know, Studio 54 today is like an actual theater where you can actually see, you know, performances. Uh, but they reopened it to the actual like nightclub uh, back in the 70s. And, you know, they, they invited like, you know, A-list celebrities and, you know, and it was all over the, the, the news that, you know, for one night only, Studio 54 was going to open. I personally love disco music from the 70s and then very nostalgic. Okay. <laughs> towards, towards that era, I think, uh, you know, there was a lot of innovation and creativity that had happened and I just loved the music. So when I heard that, I said to myself, I got to get in there. So I didn't know anyone. I didn't even know how to even get in there. But I just thought back. I'm like, who did Studio 54 choose? They just chose the most visually cool and exciting and creative people. So I, uh, I just wore some ridiculous something. And I, there's hundreds of people trying to get in just like it was back in the day. And the doorman saw me, pointed at me, and then I got inside. And, you know... What I loved most about that experience is you had these like 60, 70, and 80-year-old people completely decked to the nines like they were, you know, back in 1978, and they were just having such a great time. And I said to myself, wow, this is a great experience, and uh, probably will never have this experience ever again. Uh, and it was just so cool to just be in a room with like a thousand other people all ages, you know, all different nationalities, ethnicities, you know, and, and just everyone just being very happy and excited. So that was a super cool, uh, probably one of my best experiences I've ever had in New York. That's pretty cool. Uh, who do you remember was there that, that, that you still go, damn, I can't believe they were in the room with me. I, I don't, you know, it was, there were so many people and it was just, there was no one that I actually recognized, but at the same time, I'm sure everyone was, you know, someone either important or, you know, they, they used to go back in the day, you know, and they like literally had their outfit hanging in their closet for 30, 40 years. And they, you know, they dusted it off and put it on for like one night only. Yep. Uh, second question is uh, if you were going to go for a super long walk through the streets of New York, what would you be listening to on your phone what, what, uh, while you did that specifically? Who, what, would, what would make that, that experience very enjoyable for you? Every single one of your podcasts. Ah, ha, ha, good answer. <laughs> uh, 
what, what what kind of podcasts generally do interest you? Like, what do you get out of a podcast when it makes you go kind of like, you know, that that's super useful for me? Yeah, look, I, you know, actually, you know, just to answer your question, I, I love documentaries. So, uh, you know, that's where I spend a lot of my free time, just learning about different subjects. And I'm not really a book person in the sense of reading hundreds of pages of a physical uh, book. I'm more of a visual person in, in addition to an audio person. So uh-huh. listening to history and uh, historical records about every subject, culture, just a- a- anything, anything that I've not studied, I'm, I'm always looking for you know new things to learn about. Because I, I definitely think that there's cross-pollination when it comes to understanding the historical record or understanding how other things work and how it can apply to what you're doing. Excellent. Uh, and how can people, you mentioned uh, windowsware.com, uh, how, how, do you invite people to connect with you directly? And if so, how can they do that? Yeah, of course. My personal email is john at johnharari.com. And then anything, uh, you know, all my social media is John Harari, J-O-N-H-A-R-A-R-I. John Harari, CEO and co-founder of Windowsware. Thanks so much, man, for joining. Um, uh, I'm excited to see kind of how you uh paddle along with the continuous transformation of the retail industry given given the circumstances of our times and and find what that means for you going forward as as you continue to i wouldn't say reinvent yourself but recalibrate so uh find the the best parts of what you do and, and amplify them so uh thanks a lot for joining thank you mark appreciate it That's it for this episode of Retail is Your Business. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We surely do appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back next week with another great episode, another great guest. Until then, I'm Mark Rico. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This has been Retail is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.